Welcome to Leo Rising, a living tarot and creative intuition podcast. Here we'll have a conversational exploration of tarot, personal and spiritual growth and identity formation. It's less of a how-to and more of a come along on the journey with me. I'll process stories from my life, both from the past and the current moment that I'm moving through, to give listeners things to think about in their own journey. I'll also be introducing you to wonderful humans who are exploring these topics in their lives, either personally, professionally, or both. So my name is Jenna Fox, and I'm an educator, writer, tarot reader, and queer adoptee witch mama. What I'm not is an expert. So if you're a seeker, if you've got a curious mind and are interested in esoteric topics, then this is the podcast for you. And I'm so excited to have you. Let's get started on the journey, shall we? So I'm in a pretty interesting place right now. Not just as far as the podcast goes, but in my own personal experience of living with this new or relatively new way of being in the world. Um, as far as following the pagan calendar, the witch's calendar, and I am almost hesitant to say anything um, on the podcast because I know that the intention that I have set up is that I'm going to record and release episodes around Yule. But that means that there's going to be quite some distance between when I record this, which is on November 1st, the day after Samhain, and when you, the listening audience, um, actually gets to hear my words. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is wondering if I am wanting to do these sort of um, mass Netflix style binge listens, which is how I actually prefer to listen to podcasts. When I find a new podcast, I just listen to like all the episodes. And then I do tend to go to the weekly format like uh, most podcasts run on a weekly or every other week um, format. But there's something in the way that I work that I really love to kind of absorb a lot of information all at once. And actually, several years ago, I was talking with my husband about how we process information. And I, he is the kind of person that will come across new concepts. And he was a theology major um, for his master's degree. And so he would spend a lot of time looking at new spe specifically spiritual concepts or ideas or philosophers or theologians. And he would sort of pick through the information. He would like side eye it all, right? And he would survey it all. And then he would pick through the information um, to decide what kind of needed to be integrated into his um, experience, which when I think about animals, um, scavenger animals who kind of come across a carcass and they decide, okay, am I going to peck out the eyeballs? Am I going to try to like eat, you know, the little remaining uh, niblets that are on the ribs? And that's sort of how he approaches the world in general, the world of knowledge and especially spirituality. I, on the other hand, tend to be like, like an owl or a snake, um, I actually prefer the owl imagery better because um, who wouldn't want to fly, right? But owls eat 
their prey. They, they come across something that they want to eat and they eat the whole thing, right? And, you know, gulp it down. And then their body over time digests and what um, kind of comes out the other end is the stuff that wasn't good for the owl, that they didn't need any longer. So the bones and the hair, and, and that's how we get owl pellets. And so that's sort of how I approach um, a lot of things. So when I watch movies or shows or I read books, I like really get into it. And then I kind of let it digest and be like, oh, okay, after a time, maybe that isn't something that I believe or something I agree with, or that just doesn't quite sit right. But typically when I approach the new information, um, I kind of just take it all in as the gospel truth until it's it doesn't seem to quite settle out. Um, Either that, or I'm super skeptical, and I'd be like the owl that would look at the the frozen mouse from the free, you know from the freezer and be like, mm, no thanks, and I would just walk away from it. <laughs> so it's either like all in one lump or not at all. So it is directly after Samhain, as far as my own specific experience of um, Halloween on October 31st, and. I still feel like talking about this right now is going to be really relevant when I release this at Yule because the way that the quote unquote normal calendar is with January 1st being the new year as far as our American or westernized or um, is it the Gregorian calendar? I get those confused, right? Because I know that it changed at some point in history, but so as far as our, our typical, you know, standard calendar where yeah, 2019 is going to start on January 1st, that I have been practicing Samhain as a concept now. This was my second go round. So for one full year, have I been in this place where I've been really considering myself a witch, even though I didn't use that label until about probably six to nine months ago. But last year at Samhain, I decided that I was going to really um, begin to honor it, especially around the conversation of the people who have gone before, who have died, um, which was was really lovely. It came across my Facebook, um, you know, this day in your history feed and having this really sweet conversation with my son a year ago. So he's six and a half and that means that he would have been five and a half last year. And the the conversation that that we had was um, was really kind of about his great grandma, so my grandmother. And he just he just had this really sweet way of um, talking about how he really wanted to uh, he wanted to go as a ghost. For Halloween, um, I was just kind of sharing with him the the origins of Halloween and Samhain, and and this is a direct quote of what he said um, on October thirty first, two thousand seventeen, when he was um, five and a half. Mama, I had wanted to go as a spooky ghost for Halloween because I miss my great grandma. And when he said this, we were laying in bed together at night. And he was processing his experience, um, trick-or-treating in the neighborhood. And I said, I miss her too, buddy. If she was here, what do you think you would say to her? And he just said, I'd give her a big hug and say, great grandma, I love you and miss you. 
it was just this really sweet exchange because my grandma, who I was very close to, um, died actually when Brewer, my oldest son, was um, three. So he was at the age where he had definitely interacted with her and knew who she was. Um, but, you know, people forget or they tend to kind of minimize the ability for young kids to um, remember that young, to have those those memories. And so it really was last year, last year that I started to kind of say, I want Halloween, I want Samhain, I want this idea of ancestry and connection with the dead, my loved ones. Um, I wanted it to just be more than Reese's Pieces and dressing up in costumes, which is my jam. I do love a good costume. So here we are, the day after Samhain. And now I know that in the actual Celtic tradition, it can fall on various days, but I'm going to say it's, it's November 1st. And I woke up this morning with this intense grief, just this intense grief. And so I thought I would come to you all to share this experience because in my body, I am experiencing the witch's new year. Day one, November 1st, is the new year for this particular tradition that goes back into my bloodline. Now, let me back up just a little bit to explain um, some of my intentions or, or what I had sort of hoped would happen for Samhain. So I follow several people on Patreon and I'm on Instagram and one of the questions was asked, um, I mean, it was asked by more than one person, but just like, what are your Samhain plans? And I had said that I wanted to take my kids trick-or-treating, which is our, um, our yearly tradition. There's a, up the road at the church that my husband and I got married and they do this trunk-or-treat. And it's, it's a really nice way to get um, my youngest kid involved because he sometimes gets tired walking through the neighborhood for, you know, an hour and a half. So we first do trunk or treat. It takes around 20 minutes to kind of just see all the cars and get the candy and play the games. And then we trick or treat in the neighborhood. And that was my intention. My intention was to dress up like every year and take the kids around trick or treating and then get them to bed and just spend some time at my ancestor altar. I've been having some some quiet creative bursts and I was hoping to maybe do some journaling. I have a sweet little offering of a rose and a feather and some um, dried fruit on my, on my altar and some candles. And I just was just going to spend some time in quiet reflection and thinking about all of the people that have gone before me. <clears throat> but in the day or two before Halloween, I got a text from my bio dad and my bio dad and I are pretty close, especially as far as um, adoption reunion relationships can go. We've, we've been in reunion now for 10 years, um, 10 and a half years actually. And Halloween is one of his favorite holidays. And it was actually so wonderful for me to meet him, to know that Halloween was such a, um, an important part of his life because it was not only my favorite holiday or one of my favorite holidays growing up because I love dressing up, 
but also it was a really great holiday for us to spend together as we were getting to know each other. Um, because there wasn't a lot of the same cultural baggage that Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter has as far as, you know, showing this hierarchical importance of family, right? So, you know, I think my parents or my in-laws probably would have been pretty upset if I'm you know, the first or second or third <laughs> Thanksgiving, if we had suddenly, you know, rotated out another um, to go to another set of family members' houses. It's already hard enough to be partnered and have in-laws um, and have my family of origin that I was raised in, my adoptive family, feel threatened by my in-laws. You know, it's just divided time. So knowing that Halloween was such an important part of his life, this was a great way to say, this is something I can be a part of. And so for the first couple of years, my husband's husband and I would go down there and he would have a Halloween party. And there was times that I would, we would dress up and we would just, it was just really great. So I got a text from him because my half sister is now in college and my other half sister is 16 and is kind of, um, you know, more independent. And he just said, I miss trick or treating. I miss Halloween. And I said, come, come up come up and, and do Halloween with us. It would be so fun. And so he did. He dressed up and he brought my half sister from college and they came and we went, we had pizza and we hung out low key. And then we went trunk or treating and then we went trick or treating and we had some cinnamon whiskey while we were walking and watching the kids. And it was just everything that I could have ever possibly hoped for as far as a Halloween Samhain night trick-or-treating experience with kids and and it was it was just such this beautiful um, connection of the generations and seeing how I'm standing in the gap there um, between my ancestor right my biological dad and the lineage that he comes from and my children and I get to bridge that you know, our relationship was ruptured for 25 years. Um, and now it's, it's not. And it's this really interesting, um, you know, I don't think there's any two relationships like each other. But here's, here's this chance for my kids to get to have another grandpa and one that's genetically related to them. And we actually spent a little bit of time I kind of went out on a limb. Now I know that my biological dad um, is, has had some um, knowing, some premonitions, some experiences. It runs in the family, um, some of these psychic um, or other intuitive experiences. And so I asked him, I was like, hey, did um, Aunt Robin or Aunt Chris mention the dream I had this summer? And, and he said no. And so I, you know, I shared with him the dream that I had where I heard his mom's name and saw the teacup floating and that it was her birthday when I had that dream. And he said, well, I believe it. He goes, and, and the next time you come over, I can show you that teacup. It's in the, it's in the, um, the China cabinet. And he goes, but you know, I think that that teacup that you saw was her mother's teacup, which was actually this really beautiful little tidbit because, um, that's who I connected in with after I had this experience. Um, 
it was my grandma's mom, the lineage that opened up on the family search. And so um, we were just talking about that and why she emigrated from um, the Czechoslovakia, which was um, Bohemia at the time because it was pre, um, pre-Czechoslovakia. She came um, during World War One. So I was unprepared to have such a wonderful night among the living. I think that that's kind of the best way to, to say it. And I was just so unprepared to have and feel this, you know, which is talk about the veil being thin. And what I felt like last night was that the veil was thin between my heart and my children and my heart and my dad and my sister and my heart and the experience of being embodied as this lineage, as this, you know, I am an ancestor and I have descendants and what kind of ancestor am I being and what a privilege it is. But I woke up this morning and it felt like when you've had this great experience and there's a loss and there's sadness. And there was just this, this profound grief that I felt around it being over or it being day one of something new rather than day 365 of something that was beautifully comfortable or the ending, um, the culmination of such a wonderful full wheel of the year. Um, and this feeling is not unusual for me. And yet this feeling is actually unusual for me on November 1st. And that's where I'm feeling this really interesting sense of embodiment right now, as far as my physical presence and my emotional presence becoming tuned to a cycle that isn't um, that isn't traditionally honored by the um, the culture, the overculture. And then it gives me much more compassion for my Muslim friends and my Jewish friends and my my friends of variety of different religious, my um, my Hindu friends when I lived in India having their own set of cultural and religious or spiritual uh, ways of marking time that isn't recognized by the overculture. And so I know this feeling. I know this feeling of deep sadness and grief and kind of a dread, like a, like a void looking out into the blackness of, you know, what's to come and being a little bit excited about the next year, the upcoming, but also a little bit like, I don't want to get up. I don't want to get out of bed, you know, and the weather even changed. This morning we woke up and it was blustery and so many leaves had fallen and it just felt like, yeah, this is day one. This is day one. And I typically as somebody who lives with mental health um, issues, depression, anxiety, OCD, um, January and February tend to be the hardest months of the year for me. And some of that is because I'm a December baby. And I was born on the 13th, St. Lucia's Day. And 
the way that my family practiced um, my birthday in conjunction with Christmas, it was always separate. It was always something where, you know, there'd be presents a couple days before my birthday and then my birthday. And, um, and then I got married on December 20th. And so adding to the festivities in December of birthday celebrations and pre-Christmas parties, and then it was my, my wedding. And so now we have anniversary thrown in there, right? And then three years later, my son was born on our anniversary on December 20th, five days before Christmas. And so the month of December feels like fall, you know, coming off of Thanksgiving, which is, um, I know it has so many awful, awful, um, colonial and just, just such a terribly dark history. But for my lived experience, um, Thanksgiving was a really great holiday because there was no material expectations. There was no, um, trying to kind of jockey for favor or position or holding anything over somebody else for monetary, you know, um, experiences of gifts, etc. It was just really good food, except for the turkey. I would rather have ham. That's why I do like Christmas and Easter for that. So, you know, Thanksgiving from Thanksgiving into the end of Christmas. And then there would be, my family would have an after Christmas party with my mom's side of the family. And then it would be New Year's. It kind of felt like being on a month long or a six week long party boat with like music and dancing and twinkle lights and everything just feels soft and magical like when you just kind of like squint your eyes and just it's like fairies are dancing around right and you can hear the music and and then January 1st hits or would hit or you know January 2nd or January 5th or somewhere right around the turn of the overcultures beginning of the year and it would feel a little bit to me like I had jumped off this party boat into the icy cold water, which as I'm saying it, it reminds me a lot of, you know, the Titanic movie, right? That that kind of imagery of the band playing and the people plunging overboard. And, and so that's when my depression and my anxiety and my, my fear and my just wanting to curl up and be in bed and just kind of that heaviness has really traditionally happened. And this morning when I woke up, I felt that way. And I was really surprised. I was really shocked because no, this is my time of year. This is the dark half of the year. This is where I'm excited heading into, you know, the next few weeks leading up to Thanksgiving. And then the next few weeks where I'm getting to celebrate, you know, Santa Lucia's day and my birthday and my anniversary and my kid's birthday and Christmas and after Christmas and New Year's. Like there's so many beautiful things that I have to look forward to. So why do I feel such a sense of grief? Well, I've been reflecting today and I actually have a couple tarot cards right in front of me. I've really been um, drawn to the numinous um, by Noel Arthurian. Um, 
the numinous tarot deck right now because of it's just it's brilliance um and i think that you know i was using pagan other worlds kind of leading up to Samhain, which was really soft and beautiful and felt very ancestral but as I'm kind of feeling this deep grief, I'm sort of wanting some some bright colors to kind of stand out to me. And so the three cards that I pulled to kind of talk about were the death, the world, and the fool. And I wanted to start with death because that's what's happened, right? There's been a death of that year, the previous year. It has been folded under and the leaves have dropped and it is it's under the dirt it's under the ground it's buried it's no longer it is the bear that has gone into the cave and is hibernating which i just learned even though i knew that bears didn't um legitimately hibernate like rodents i didn't know that their state of hibernation quote hibernation torpor is much like a trance state and so um, there's just some, been some interesting um, bear facts that I've been learning as we're heading into this time from now until Yule. And so this idea of death is really here with me. And death is kind of messy and sad and dark. And yeah, there's this, this knowing inside me I can feel it that this isn't this grief isn't going to last forever and yet right now I'm I'm feeling it I'm feeling it and so the world and the fool and I sort of feel like this is an interesting conversation. Um, I mean, I'm so many tarot cards could be pulled to talk about kind of how I'm feeling in this moment. Um, but, but the world is the, the culmination of a cycle. And it's this really beautiful image of in, in their um, deck. It's this really beautiful image of a, lotus flower and there's like a kind of like a tree of life in the middle and there's all these different colors there's green and yellow and there's you know a, another ring of um kind of like butterflies that are red and orange and then there's blue with some green leaves and then there's kind of like these stumpy little like winter trees that are happening and all around it it's it, you know it's it's being held in this night sky and then there's the phases of the moon that are depicted. And so when I'm thinking about the world and an experience of culmination, that in the culmination of this experience, this world experience where last night I had everything that I ever could have imagined wanting in that moment. Now, of course, did I still miss my grandma and would it have been great for my parents to have been there and my in-laws and everybody that I could possibly have said that I loved? Yes. And yet for the moment that it was, it was my whole world. It was just beautiful. It was a beautiful, quiet moment. And, and then 
there's this pause. And I like to think that the fool is what's coming next because typically when you have the world, that's then the next card. And the fool is this in between the world and the magician. It's card zero, but what's between the world and the fool? You know, part of me wants to parse down all the archetypes and all the experiences and and break it down to even, you know, sort of like the microscopic. Like what's between the world culmination experience and the next, the next adventure? And how do I take this experience of physically embodying this witch's year? And how do I live with that? as well as living with the overculture's idea that we're not yet at the beginning of the year. And so I think that that's maybe a little bit for me of what this, this invitation that the fool could bring in the, the numinous um, deck, the fool is this nude figure, like, diving, not swan diving, like legit diving off of a cliff into pretty stormy waters. And yet in the background, there's a rainbow and a sun. It's like the clouds are going to break free. And as a former lifeguard, I look at this image and I kind of cringe like, no, don't ever jump head first into water. You could kill yourself, right? But maybe that's a little bit of this leaping. And I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to leap yet into the unknown. And I'm still in that pause spot between what I experienced on Samhain and what's to come. And I'm not afraid. I'm just curious about the pause. And if there is a way to conceptualize the pause between the pause, right? That, that the fool is tends to be seen as the pause between the world and the magician. But what's the pause between the world and the fool? If you have any experience with this, or if you have any insight, I would love to hear it. And I know that the fool to the world is not a linear experience, right? And I didn't do a tarot reading for this. And so I think that that would have, that will be something I'm sure that I will experience that I will do for myself um, and either record it or just keep it for myself as I process through what this experience has been like for me and how I'm integrating all of this into my own, my own body. Um, as I'm now kind of living in sort of a, a dualistic way, which I'm used to, right? As, as somebody who's queer, as somebody who's adopted, as somebody who is um, a witch, I now have just another experience of living between two worlds. But I'm such a newbie at this one, right? As an adoptee, I know what it's like 
to live my life having one set of parents and thinking about another or having one set of parents and having another set of parents that I now know and, and trying to navigate all that. I'm not saying that I'm an expert or that I'm the best, right? Or I know what it's like to be um, not straight and be expected to or um, encouraged to act straight or be read as straight and knowing that I have two or more experiences happening in my body, in my mind, in my heart, in my soul at the same time. So that's okay. I'm just curious if anyone else has, I don't know, a concept or a, an image or, or what would you, what would you put between, between these already natural pauses, the pause between the pause. I welcome your feedback at Leo Rising Tarot on Instagram, or you can send me an email, leorisingtarot at gmail.com. I would love to continue this conversation um, because as much as I enjoy speaking into the void and processing my life in this way, I really value community and I really value conversation. And so um, I would just love to hear what you think. And what resonates with you and how was your Samhain, even though as you hear this, it's Yule. But I think it could be important to think about it for the overculture New Year as well. This idea of something dying and something waiting to be reborn and that hanging space between. And I don't know if there's if there's a good word or a good image for it, but I trust that my listeners, all of you will be thinking about it. And if there is a good image or, or word or experience for it or a way of conceptualizing it, I trust that you will let me know. So until we talk again, I hope you all are well. Hey friends, thanks for listening to Leo Rising, a tarot and creative intuition podcast. As of January 2021, this podcast and all of the information is archived. So feel free to listen to the episodes. The wisdom of the tarot is everlasting. But much of the information about um, booking a reading from people has changed in the last couple of years. So know that there isn't a tarot um, Instagram account or email address or way to get a hold of me for readings at this point. And of course, I will update that in the future if it changes.